Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. Be sure to check out everything we do over at undergroundusa.com. There are an array of issues facing our country, and in fact the world today. But two of the most critical are the advancement of critical race theory, or CRT, and the massive power grab being made by the global elites in the form of the Great Reset and associated mechanisms. I had the opportunity to talk with Alex Newman, the CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media and a senior editor for the New American Magazine, about those issues. He's the author of Deep State, The Invisible Government Behind the Scenes, and Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. Alex, when we talk about CRT, we're talking about a political theory based on critical theory, which we all know is rooted in Marxism. Would you please expound on that evolution and why today's transformative activists have been so successful in using it as a tool? Well, thank you very much. And really, critical race theory is simply just an updated form of Marxist class struggle theory. Um, Karl Marx figured out uh, early on that if you wanted to take over a nation, you would have to divide that nation against itself, find some sort of fault line, and then turn the population against itself. And so he thought that the the perfect dividing line would be class. And uh, with backing from the Wall Street mega banks, uh, Lenin and Trotsky were able to use that formula successfully in Russia. Uh, America, of course, is not Russia. Uh, Western Europe is not Russia. And uh, to try to convince an American, you know, even 100 years ago, that he was being oppressed by his employer uh, was ludicrous. I mean, th- these were people who uh, were moving up, who were earning a very, very good wage, especially compared with anything anybody else in the world was earning. Uh, they knew that the sky was the limit. They believed in the American dream that if they worked hard and saved and studied and did what they were supposed to, that uh, things would improve. And so the, the class conflict theory really just would not take off in America. And so uh, Marxist theorists realized that and they came to the conclusion that something different would be needed for uh, the United States. And that is where the idea of trying to exploit so-called racial divisions first emerged, even before critical race theory was a term, even before the idea was explored in academia. Uh, the Marxists in Moscow and other places and Frankfurt and and uh, even here in the United States realized that race would be uh, a better tool to exploit in the United States than class. And so they came up with that idea and 
uh, decided that uh, they would try to foment division around uh, race. And that's what we have seen now with critical race theory. Instead of uh, the rich, the bourgeoisie, the middle class being the oppressors and the working class, the proletariat being the oppressed, uh, they just reframed the debate and suddenly it became uh, whites are the oppressors and non-whites are the oppressed. They're the victims. Uh, Now, just for good measure, they've added in other categories to try to uh, broaden that. Now, if you're cisgendered, you uh, you have privilege. If you're uh, heterosexual, you have privilege. You're part of the oppressor class. If you're Christian, you're part of the oppressor class. And uh, and that really is where this all came from. And that's why when you talk to people who have fled from uh, communist dictatorships to come to the United States, uh, they recognize instantly what's happening with the critical race theory. It's a lie, of course. Uh, It's not to say that there was never racial issues in the United States, but to suggest that all people of a certain ethnic heritage are are oppressed or all of them are oppressors uh, is absolutely ludicrous. And um, and that's where we are. So. Yeah, and this was uh, they kind of co-opted that whole uh, slavery issue coming into the 20th century uh, in the starting all this stuff, uh, just kind of poking it. And I've noticed that this has kind of exploded since Barack Obama got into office back back in his first term. Yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, the ironic thing is that uh, on a lot of metrics, um, the descendants of slaves were doing much better 100 years ago than they are today. Uh, their literacy rates were higher. Uh, their families were intact. They had a mother and father at home. Uh, they were moving up in the world. They were starting their own businesses. They were buying their own land and creating their own farms. Uh, unfortunately, we've seen uh, the opposite of progress. The more the race mongers uh, beat the race drums and exploit this issue and try to weaponize uh, certain categories of Americans against America, uh, the more we see a catastrophe unfolding. It uh, it really is very sad, but you're right that uh, that has been the key tool that they learned to exploit, and they're still milking it for everything it's worth today. We see that with the 1619 Project. We see that with the garbage they're teaching the teachers in uh, colleges of so-called education all across this country. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's really a disgrace. It's an abomination, but uh, it's it's in your face now. So, how big of a role did the the counterculture of the of the 60s and the very early 70s um, play in CRT coming to pass as a as a recognized entity. Well, the counterculture was critical to advancing the Marxist revolution for several reasons. Uh, for one, I uh, created the uh, the sexual revolution, and I, I think a lot of people still struggle to understand where the sexual revolution fits into uh, the Marxist theory of revolution, at, at least the contemporary Marxist theory of revolution. But uh, it really should be obvious. I mean, even going back all the way to Karl Marx's writings, even back into the mid 1800s, uh, he was very clear about the, his desire to abolish the family. Uh, he thought women should be uh, held in common, right, and, uh, get rid of the uh, monogamous uh, man-woman relationship and just have uh, basically communal sexual relations. And uh, one of the big reasons for that was that he wanted uh, children to be raised not by a mom and a dad who would teach them you know, the values and the uh, the religion and the worldview of previous generations. Uh, he wanted them to be raised by the state. And of course, the best way to do that is to obliterate the nuclear family. So the sexual revolution supercharged that movement to obliterate the family. And we saw that very clearly, right? Uh, at, shortly after the, the counter culture 
evolved. Uh, we saw, for example, in the early 1970s, we got no-fault divorce, where suddenly you could just leave your spouse for whatever reason or no reason at all, um, which you know would have been unthinkable even just a, a generation earlier. Marriage was a, a lifelong contract. And uh, if government has any role at all in anything, it, one of the things it should be doing is upholding contracts. Well, not anymore. Uh, then we saw the, you know, this uh, promiscuity explode where fornication was held up as some sort of liberation. Uh, we saw uh, efforts then to normalize a homosexuality. And now we were even at the stage where we're trying to normalize uh, transgenderism, so-called. So, you know, the homosexual said, well, uh, you don't really need a mom and a dad. It's just fine to have just two moms or two dads. It'll, it'll, you know, it'll be perfectly adequate for a child. Uh, now they're past that. Now they're saying there is no mom. There is no dad. Right. Uh, gender is fluid. It's a social construct. Uh, there is no such thing as a mom or a dad. Nobody is really, uh, you know, a, a male or a female. Everybody's somewhere on a spectrum in between. So that's how bonkers we've gotten. And all of that sprung up from the counterculture of the 1960s. Uh, it, its roots, of course, go back a little bit earlier. but mainstream approval, mainstream acceptance of these crazy ideas really came about with the counterculture. You also had uh, an explosion of drug use. You had an explosion of opposition to legitimate authority, to lawful authority, and uh, and an embrace of everything from anarchism to totalitarianism, uh, in addition to the demonization of America, to the demonization of America's founding principles. So the counterculture, I, I really view it as an outgrowth of the Marxist, the communist movement in the United States. And, uh, and when you look at the fruit, it becomes very obvious that that's what it was. Yeah. And, and, and Marx was a little bit of a misogynist, too, if, oh, uh, absolutely. if, if I recall. Um, how prevalent is CRT in our grade schools and high schools. I know we've seen a lot of uh, coverage of it in center to center right media. The left doesn't like to cover it all unless they're they're rah rah and cheerleading it. But how prevalent is it in in our grade schools and high schools coast to coast? Uh, it's ubiquitous. I mean, it, 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 modern day government education is inseparable from critical race theory. It, it is literally part of the worldview lens that the overwhelming majority of America's government school teachers see the world through. That's because they've been trained to see the world that way in their government colleges of education, it, you know, state university or state college or whatever. Um, so it, it is now inextricably linked. Now, I, I, I always caution to people, even if we could wave a magic wand and get rid of CRT, it still would be a terrible idea to send your children into one of these government brainwash camps identifying as a school. Um, I mean, you'd have to hate your children to do something like that. Uh, but, you know, CRT is a problem. Uh, it, it, it's kind of ironic. I, I tell people I'm actually glad uh, that we have CRT so firmly embedded in the schools now because it has forced millions of parents to confront this reality. Uh, they were trying to hide from it before. They were trying to pretend like everything was fine and dandy, but it wasn't. It, it hasn't been for generations. In fact, the government school system was created by people who wanted to obliterate uh, the foundations of our civilization and replace them with collectivism, with communism. And so, if anything, uh, CRT has now forced this reckoning. It has forced millions of families to seriously look at the public school system and say, wow, that's not acceptable. Whereas before, uh, you know, as long as that was kind of confined to the fringes, it was okay to dumb down our children and sexualize our children and indoctrinate our children to believe in globalism and humanism and so on and so forth. So uh, I think really there has been a very beneficial effect from CRT in terms of waking parents up, but you, you really can't separate them anymore. It, it's like asking 
teachers to leave the way they see the world at the door. And so even in, in these states, like I'm, I'm in Florida right now, even in Florida where we have banned now by statute critical race theory in the schools, critical race theory is still a critical component to the schools. It's in all the textbooks. It's the way that these teachers see the world. Uh, yes, it's damaging to children, but children were being damaged on an industrial scale before anybody ever heard the term CRT. So, in hindsight, when you when you hear the echo of "It takes a village," all those years ago, uh, we should have seen that red flag then. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we should have seen the red flag at the beginning when Robert Owen first proposed government schools, when Horace Mann first brought government schools from Prussia to the United States, uh, when John Dewey uh, further weaponized government schools based on the Soviet model to turn America into a communist utopia. Um, we should have seen the red flags all along. Uh, in fact, when Plato proposed that government should educate children. I mean, Plato was a raging totalitarian. This is a guy who wanted philosopher kings to rule over the rest of us because they were more qualified to make decisions for us. It's simply outrageous. Um, And I think that's where we went wrong. The idea that government should educate children was a mistake from the start. Uh, Government has no more business educating children than it has running a grocery store. (laughs) That's that's for sure. Um, uh, to go back and touch on one of your what you uh, a comment you just made uh, with the states and the and the counties and and school districts, and I'm I'm over in in the Panhandle of Florida, so I'm we've got a better shot at at combating it here than we do in a lot of places. Um, with the declarations that that these entities are not embracing CRT that they're in fact even banning it in some places and taking votes on it at the local school board level to, to not have it. I know in our county, I questioned our our uh, our school board people and they said, we will not be allowing that in the classroom. Um, you know, th- that's the school board talking. How are activist teachers still able to advance the ideology in the classrooms with impunity if if their authorities are saying you're not supposed to teach it? Yeah, the the reality is you really can't get rid of this stuff using traditional means like legal bans. Uh, I mean, again, our whole state has a ban on CRT. And yet if you pick up the textbooks that were just purchased by school districts all across the state of Florida, you'll find that they are all absolutely packed to the gills with CRT. And the same thing with the teachers. Uh, first of all, there are no enforcement mechanisms. Second of all, they play um you know, hide the ball under the cup uh, with the with the definition. Well, this isn't really CRT. This is just teaching <laughs> the racial history of the United States. So, you know, they play word games to try to confuse people. But really, this is the way that these teachers see the world. So when you tell a teacher you can't teach CRT, you're telling them you know everything that you believe about reality. You have to leave that out of your classroom. It, it's simply preposterous to suggest that a teacher would do that. Uh, we really need now kind of a cult deprogramming. Uh, the, these people, unfortunately, have have been taught to view the world through the lens of Marxist CRT, uh, and that's poison. It's toxic, but they have a set of inaccurate facts in their head. They have an inaccurate version of American history that they've been taught uh, very deliberately and strategically, by the way. Uh, and so the idea that we can just ban this, uh, I think, unfortunately, is uh, is going to be left wanting. It's not possible to just ban CRT. And, and all these districts and all these states that are doing it right now are going to find that. Uh, Oklahoma had some really tough legislation by uh, Senator Jett. Unfortunately, it got watered down. I, I had the opportunity to spend some time with Senator Jett uh, just a few weeks ago. But 
Uh, that had originally the original bill had some enforcement mechanisms in there where teachers would be fired for for teaching this nonsense. But again, it, it's all encompassing. It's pervasive. They look at every issue now through this lens of oppressor versus oppressed. And, and you can't separate the way they view reality from the way they teach reality to their children. Uh, even if they wanted to, they couldn't do that. Right. It's like asking a Christian to teach atheism. It, it, it just it doesn't work. And you had touched on something here as well that I, I think a lot of people don't understand is that it's ingrained into the textbooks and and the learning materials. And these textbooks companies have a gigantic influence on how things are taught in our schools. Yes, they do. Uh, the, the textbook companies. I, I say the education beast is really a hydra, right? You have all these different organizations saying, hey, give us money, pay attention to us, uh, you know, join our cause, get on our email list. Uh, and they're all hacking at one of the branches, right? Um, and as if, if we just sawed off one of the branches, right? We're going to take down the, the CRT. We're going to take down the teachers union. We're going to take down the U.S. Department of Education. And don't get me wrong. I support all those initiatives. And I'm involved in a lot of organizations. In fact, I serve on a lot of boards of organizations that are fighting these things, and I support those organizations. But what we're dealing with here is a hydra. And uh, just like a hydra, you know, I, I was just down uh, snorkeling in the Keys a couple of days ago, and you see these sea anemones, right? Uh, you can chop off one or two or three or even five tentacles from these sea anemones, and the sea anemone is still going to be there. And it's still going to be, you know, grabbing fish and, and eating them and stinging things. And, uh, you know, it's just the nature of it. And then more tentacles will grow right back. Uh, you've got to destroy the entire organism. And that organism is the trillion dollar a year uh, government indoctrination complex masquerading as an educational system. It's not an educational system. Uh, it is an indoctrination system that exists to enrich the people who are attached to it to dumb down our population and to indoctrinate our people to fundamentally transform America. And until people realize that all the attacks on the teachers unions or the U.S. Department of Education or the, you know, the textbook publishers or any one of these hydras uh, or these tentacles on the hydra is going to be ineffective. Yes, all those things need to be dealt with, but really it's the system that needs to be uprooted and thrown on the ash heap of history. It's like a cancer. You know, people talk about, uh, uh, you know, when you have cancer, the idea that you would reform your cancer, it's its absolutely preposterous. You know, wh why would you want to reform a cancer? We're going to you know, move it over here, do a little bit of tinkering over there. No, right. You get rid of the cancer. And that includes the textbook publishers. That includes the teachers unions. That includes the U.S. Department of Education. But it, it, if you want to get rid of the whole cancer, it's got to include the entire system. And I think that's where, uh, unfortunately, a lot of well-meaning individuals involved in these fights uh, are missing the boat. I've always been kind of stunned that a, a system that was supposed to be set up with with local purview, you know, you, we, we always talk about school boards are, are local. You elect your local school boards. You have curriculum directors in your local school boards. Uh, the school boards in, in just about every place that I know of have uh, taxing authorities uh, to, to help fund those school systems that a national campaign could be so potent and so coordinated as to co-opt all of these local entities. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting, the issue with the school boards. And 
I really feel for the parents that are out there screaming at the school boards. Uh, everybody's seen the videos now of these concerned little moms. Like, why are you teaching my kids racism? Uh, you know, I really feel for them. I have a lot of empathy for them, but um, they're missing the issue. And, and a lot of the school board members, you know, there's a lot of well-intentioned members of the school boards, just concerned people who decided to run for office. Um, but they're just a, a minuscule part of the system. And even if you have, I, I tell people this all the time. Even if you had a conservative supermajority, even if every member of your school board was a conservative Christian and was trying to uh, undo the damage, it would not be possible. And I always give people this challenge because, you know, we, we hear all the time now that the solution is to run for school board. And, you know, I, I get frustrated hearing that. I, I sometimes have to kind of restrain myself to avoid sounding mean or rude, you know, but that's not a solution, folks. Um, I know of communities and school districts where every single member of the school board is a conservative Christian and nothing can change because there you have state laws, you have federal, you have this Hydra again, right? And you chop off one tentacle, well, all the other tentacles will come in and the same objective will be accomplished. So as much as, uh, you know, I, I, I feel for these parents, as much as I feel for these members of the school board, I know how this works. I've helped people get elected to school boards. I've been contacted by school board members at the state and local level all across the country asking for help. Uh, you know, they get elected, then they fly them to uh, some you know orientation for new school board members. And they tell them, look, here's the state law. Here's the federal law. You get to decide in Florida, for example, whether you should have uniforms, uh, how much do you guys want to pay your teachers? You know, what do you want to do about the uh, the football program? And that's it. Right. Uh, don't worry about the school books. Don't worry about the curricula. Don't worry about the standards. All that's going to be set for you by the state, which is taking its guidance from the federal government, which is taking its guidance from the UNESCO. I mean, there's really nothing that a local school board member can do, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, they can make noise and, and they can hopefully get some good quotes in the newspaper so parents will realize that the school building is on fire and they need to get their children out. But as far as changing the cancer, as far as uh, reforming the cancer, good luck with that. It's it's hopeless. So Now, we're also seeing CRT, the employment of CRT in the private sector businesses to the point that um – you know, people who some people in in workplaces are literally being discriminated against and demonized in the in the workplace because of their skin color, because of what they believe about CRT, um, about the, because of their gender. If you're if you're a white man in in today's private business sector, you are you're getting it from all sides. How prevalent is CRT in the private sector industries, and and how is it affecting um, the bottom line when it comes to capitalism? Yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, it's ubiquitous in private business as well. Uh, actually, I, I just wrote a very in-depth cover story on critical race here. I hope people will go read it. You can find it at The New American. I'm the senior editor at The New American magazine. And uh, I just did a, a very detailed article where I go through some of the uh, CRT infiltration of uh, companies. And everybody's seen some of it, right? We've seen the Coca-Cola doing the employee training where they told people they needed to try to be less white. Um, yeah. but, but really, this is unfortunately all coming from the same source, right? Uh, you, you have, uh, I, I don't think you can really understand what's going on in America, in big business, in big government, in education, without understanding that there's a common source for all this. And it would be easy to say it's coming from the pit of hell. And that's true, it, it is. It's <laughs> diabolical, it's satanic, it's wicked. But um, there is a, a mechanism that is visible, that has individuals with names and addresses, and there are organizations involved with names and addresses uh, that are 
are working to make all this happen. It's not happening on its own. It's not organic. It's not happening in a vacuum. So yes, uh, CRT is now ubiquitous in boardrooms. It's ubiquitous in, uh, and, and part of this is because it's being pushed down from, from higher up, uh, from combination of government, from uh, some of these major investment companies like BlackRock, like Vanguard, mm-hmm. like State Street, like the mega banks. Um, and, and really, there was an important study that came out of Switzerland uh, back in 2001. It was published in the journal PLOS1. And uh, they actually examined the ownership and the control structure of the mega corporations that seem to run the global economy. And what they found was, uh, to quote uh, their terminology, there's an economic super entity at the core of the international business establishment that dominates policymaking over the corporate world. And uh, it's a tiny interlocking group of mega banks that call the shots. And so even though it looks like we have you know thousands of independent companies with independent boards making their own decisions, and it just so happens that they're all moving in the same direction and promoting transgenderism to our children and yeah. promoting CRT to their employees, uh, there is a, a central nucleus from which all of this is coming. And once you realize that, then suddenly it's not so hard to ex- understand why this is happening. And and, you know, the smaller companies just fall in line because, hey, the bigger companies are forcing them. Uh, who could forget when the CEO of uh, Walmart uh, was at Walmart or Sam's Club? One of those. I think it was the, the parent company of Walmart and Sam's Club came out and said, look, when uh, when a company comes to us and wants to do business with us, if it's if it's just white men uh, on their board, we're not going to do business with them. Right. So so even smaller companies then have to play the game and pretend to be woke and pretend to uh, buy into the CRT because otherwise they won't be able to do business with the big companies like Amazon's and Walmart's that they depend on to get their products and their services out. So it, it really is uh, an unfortunate situation. It's all up and down the government. It's all up and down the corporate world. It's all up and down education, but it really is a tiny fanatical faction that's pushing this. Uh, if you talk to normal Americans, they're horrified by it. Americans of all skin tones and ancestries and heritages, right? Uh, black Americans with, with sense are just as horrified about this as white Americans with common sense. So to circle back, and I think this is a two-pronged question, um, you know, we we're talking about the schools and, and people are looking for that quick solution, well, run for school board. Well, that's that's only going to touch one facet of the of, of the issue, and the other ones will compensate for that in order to make your effort, um, in order to marginalize your effort. Uh, so what can people do? First, in the schools, how, how can people affect this and push back and affect change in, in the educa- at the education system? And then at the private sector, what, what's, what can someone do? Well, when it comes to the schools, it's uh, very simple. There's only one solution. And I've spent many years thinking about this. I've written books uh, on, on the subject of education. There's only one solution. Parents, you've got to get your children out period, end of discussion. The ship is sinking. The building is on fire. Your children are trapped inside. Stop polishing the deck chairs on the Titanic. Stop rearranging the deck chairs, polishing the, the brass handles, uh, and get your children into the lifeboats, the homeschools, uh, private Christian schools that don't teach this garbage. Um, you know, a burning building is another metaphor I like to use. You know, The building's on fire, 
what do you do? Well, if you think the answer is send a petition or go scream at the school board or something along those lines, uh, I'm sorry, but you must not be a very good parent. <laughs> right? When the school building is on fire, you wouldn't dream of doing something like that. You would run into that building regardless of the risk, regardless of the consequences, and you would rescue your child and you would get them out of that building. Well, that's what we need to be doing right now as parents. If your child is trapped in one of these government brainwash camps, they are being destroyed. It, it, it almost A fire is almost not an adequate metaphor because uh, a, a fire is just going to hurt you physically. And, and these government schools are destroying our children mentally and spiritually and academically and intellectually and morally and in every possible way, uh, not to mention mutilating them and giving them hormones and telling them they might have been born mm-hmm. in the wrong body. I mean, the government's own numbers show that your kids are dumb as a box of rocks, right? Go look at the government statistics. <laughs> the federal government says less than one in three American victims of these government schools are proficient in anything, in anything, reading, writing, math. I mean, that's what people think they're sending their kids to school. So you don't have to believe me. Uh, it's The government itself is telling you this. Uh, there's only one solution, and that is get your children out. Start homeschooling them or find a good private school alternative that isn't woke, that isn't going to waste your money teaching your kids the same garbage they would learn in a government brainwash camp. And uh, I think that's the only real solution on that front. Uh, when it comes to, to businesses, uh, I encourage people to think really carefully about their shopping decisions. Um, you know, a, a, as convenient as Amazon is, uh, what are you going to do once Amazon shuts down every library, every bookstore in this country, and the only place to then buy books is Amazon? We already know Amazon is already censoring books. They're already right. taking down books that they disagree with. So support your local bookstore. Um, support your local mom and pop shops. Quit going for the convenience and go for uh, what makes sense, right? Amazon's not going to fund your local Little League team. Amazon's not going to give money to your local church. Amazon's not going to feed the homeless in your community. Uh, they're they're enriching a bunch of corporate totalitarians. And if you want to know how Jeff Bezos thinks, just pick up a copy of the Washington Compost. Okay, this guy is a <laughs> rabid yeah. anti-American nut job. He hates you. He hates the middle class. He hates your freedom. He wants to destroy you. Stop giving him your money for the sake of convenience and just get in your car and go to the store from time to time. Support local businesses and also uh, go out of your way to, to find out what businesses are closer aligned to your values. Uh, there's a great tool that I really recommend to people. It's called Second Vote, and you can find them at secondvote.com. Uh, really, really powerful thing. You can go in there and you you can look at basically any company and find out where they stand on the key issues. You know, if, if abortion is your issue, if you're if you don't want to do business with a company that's going to give some of your money to slaughter unborn babies. You can find that right there. In fact, you can find where they stand on all things, where they stand on border security, where they stand on uh, the Second Amendment. Right? Do you want to do business with a company that's funding anti-gun Nazis that want to take away your firearms and, and uh, undermine your Second Amendment? Well, um, if not, then go to secondvote.com and type that company's name in there and find out where they stand and then do your shopping accordingly. So there's a lot of things people can do. I, I don't buy Coca-Cola anymore. And I, and, I mean, it's already poison anyway, but uh, now that I know <laughs> that they hate me because of uh, how much melanin I happen to have in my skin, well, uh, they won't be getting any more of my dollars. That's very simple. We're talking to Alex Newman. He's the CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media, and he's a senior editor over at the New American Magazine. He's also the author of Deep State, The Invisible Government Behind the Scenes, and Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. Alex, I want to pivot to a 
un, maybe unrelated. We'll find out a little bit, but a, an unrelated issue. Um, I'm deeply disturbed by this massive power grab that's coming out of both the World Economic Forum in the form of the Great Reset and the International Monetary Fund uh, in their manipulation of the special drawing rights. So I want to start with the latter, okay? But first, let's cover what both of these organizations are and why they apply to the average person. Well, uh, the International Monetary Fund uh, was stood up after uh, World War II. Uh, part of the Bretton Woods Agreement, and uh, it was always intended to kind of become the global central bank issuing the global currency. Uh, obviously, that took some time, uh, but we are now fast approaching the time when uh, the U.S. dollar will be sidelined and the International Monetary Fund's special drawing rights will be uh, taking their place. And I think it's critical to understand that if you want to understand what's happening in the world. In fact, as we speak, the IMF is distributing $650 billion worth of SDRs. And um, you know, this was the plan from the very beginning. They told you, uh, if you go back to, for example, Keynes, right? uh, Robert uh, Maynard Keynes, he was arguing that uh, they should create a global currency called the Bancor. And uh, that didn't end up taking off at the time, but we're now moving very quickly in that direction. So people need to be aware of what's happening. These are institutions that have really been critical in bringing whole nations into line, into the global system. Uh, they, they force them to reform. And the World Bank does a similar things, right? They go in and they make these huge loans to, uh, to third world governments. And they say, oh, yeah, you can have all this money. In exchange, you have to change this policy and that policy. You have to sell us all your resources or our friends, our corporate cronies, uh, all your country resources for pennies on the dollar and uh, hey we'll all live happily ever after so it's uh, very very common with these institutions and the goal was always to move us toward this one world system uh, that includes of course the um, the economic system but also the political system and uh, we're now seeing that take shape uh, they you know they've called it the new world order for a very long time it's uh, very very dangerous so Let's just so everybody is clear on what these are, what are special drawing rights? Uh, special drawing rights is kind of the well, it, it's a complicated thing. And I think they made it complicated on purpose. Uh, they call it an international reserve asset. Uh, of course, it is uh, made up of a basket of currencies. Right now, it's the U.S. dollar, the British pound, the Japanese yen, the euro. And then just a few years ago, they added the uh, the Russian renminbi in there. And uh, basically, the International Monetary Fund can create them at will uh, with the permission of its member states it will, with a, a certain threshold. I think it's uh, 80% or something of its member of uh, the shareholders in the IMF, if they vote for that, they can just create all the special drawing rights they want. Uh, and it's very much like fiat currency. They, they basically siphon uh, the, the value of people's savings out of their bank accounts, out of their safes, out of the money that they're hiding under their mattress, and then they redistribute it to the governments of the world. And then the governments of the world can spend it on actual things, right? They, they can buy uh, food and goods and services and, and vaccines or experimental injections, things like that. Uh, so that's what we're seeing right now. They're now in the process of issuing the largest issuance of SDRs in history. But think of it really as a proto-global currency. Think of it like Federal Reserve notes, except made up of a basket of currencies. So instead of just looting the American people, they're also looting uh, the Europeans and the Brits and uh, the, uh, the others whose uh, currencies make up that basket. And really, the U.S. has to turn SDRs into dollars 
upon demand, right? So, so if the IMF prints a bunch of SDRs and gives them to the Nigerian government, the Nigerian government can say to the United States, hey, I want dollars for these uh, SDRs. And the U.S. government then is required to turn that into dollars. And then uh, they can take those dollars and they can buy up uh, whatever they want. They can buy uh, computer chips. They can buy uh, food. They can buy uh, weapons, whatever it is. So it's um, a very, very strange system that not one in a million people understand, unfortunately. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason they don't teach this to children in government schools. There's a reason they don't explain it to you simply in the establishment media. It's because if people realized what was going on here, these people would probably be tarred and feathered. Is this one of the reasons why the 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 many nations and these organizations like the IMF and and the World Economic Forum and 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 the rest of them are so threatened by cryptocurrency and Bitcoin? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I've been struggling to try to understand what's going on with these cryptocurrencies for a while. I think there is a very real push. You know, they don't just want a global currency. They also want a global digital currency. And they're making very, very rapid moves in that direction. Uh, we've got the U.S. Uh, Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, uh, moving toward creating a digital currency. In fact, that was embedded in legislation twice uh, during the uh, COVID stimulus packages they were doing. <laughs> Uh, fortunately, that was taken out before final passage. But you've got the Chinese central bank has already developed a digital yuan, and that's now in circulation as part of pilot programs. You've got all the major central banks of the world working on that. And uh, I think ultimately they want to move us toward a digital global currency uh, that will be completely cashless, total elimination of privacy, total elimination of individual freedom total control over uh, the individual. Uh, very, very dangerous. And I don't know exactly what role cryptocurrencies may or may not play in that emerging architecture. But uh, I hold a little bit of cryptocurrency, but uh, I do urge people to do uh, quite a bit of research before taking the, the plunge in there. So good segue to that is um, is uh, the World Economic Forum's Great Reset which I find intensely disturbing on every level. Um, please explain in, uh, in layman's terms what the Great Reset is, what it encompasses, and the implications for this power grab, because I, it, it, it seems like it's just invalidating sovereignty everywhere around the world. Yeah, it, it, they are trying to undermine sovereignty around the world for the purpose of creating a one-world government, and they're making quite a bit of progress uh, and it's happening on every front. It's happening in education, right? We started off talking about education. We now have uh, the UN trying to standardize education around the world. We have the IMF trying to globalize the currency system. We have the United Nations trying to uh, globalize policymaking across a whole range of uh, different policy areas, including the environment, including labor, including uh, gender, everything else that you can think of. Uh, there is a concerted push on for a one world government. And that's uh, that's where these people want to take us. If we don't stop them, that's where we're going. Explain uh, a little bit, and this because this is one of the components of, of the Great Reset that I find um, this is where the fingers are coming into your private life. If, if it's not fully there already, it's coming very, very soon. Uh, the ESG scoring, what is it and why should we all be pushing back against it as hard as we possibly can? Well, ESG is this new uh, ranking system that they're trying to give to corporate entities to try to bring them all in into line with the uh, the Great Reset vision of a global fascistic uh, technocracy. 
And uh, right now, you know, corporations, their their primary job is to uh, increase shareholder value and make profit. And they do that by satisfying the needs and wants of customers, typically consumers or businesses that serve consumers. So uh, that is a very powerful incentive for companies to do uh, what people want them to do, like build uh good cars and, and create food that tastes good and you know, different, yeah. different things that uh, people want done. Well, this ESG uh, is, is a new ranking system. It's a new measure of success where we're not measuring based on how much value you've created. We're measuring based on how well you obey the dictates of the ruling class. So you have environmental and social and governance. In other words, uh, are you obeying and, and doing what we consider to be good for the environment? Like in this case, they tell us that carbon emissions, really they mean carbon dioxide dioxide, the gas of life. Every human being exhales an average of about two pounds every day. Are you doing your best to get rid of CO2, right? Uh, well, that's a, a very dubious goal from the outset. It has nothing to do with satisfying the needs or wants of consumers. Uh, same thing with uh, social, right? How woke are you? Do you have enough diversity on your board? Have you hired enough women? Uh, you know, do is the uh, amount of melanin in the skin of your board members, is that uh, where we think it should be based on our diversity quotas? I, I mean, this, this stuff has nothing to do with producing goods and services that people want to buy, with adding value and creating value for shareholders and making a profit for the people who own that company. It has everything to do with satisfying the uh, fascistic demands. And, and this is very much, you know, people don't like to hear this, and especially the, the lefties who love this idea, uh, but this is very much along the lines of what Adolf Hitler pursued, right? Uh, the goals may have been slightly different, but the concept is the same. Yeah, you can keep your company, you can keep your factory, you can keep your private property, as long as you do what we say. Um, you know, that's a nice factor you have there, and we'll let you have it, as long as you build, uh, you know, tanks for the war effort, as long as you uh, believe in the environment like we do, you know, whatever whatever the metrics are. And they may start with goals you agree with. What happens when the goals are not goals that you agree with? Then we're in trouble, right? So I, I think this whole idea of having um, the ruling elites decide what our companies and our businesses ought to be doing uh, is very, very dangerous, and it's going to lead to disaster. Let's take that a step further. Um, you know, we all saw how uh, credit scoring was applied to corporations and and businesses uh, in years past uh, where banks would say, well, your credit score has to be good in order to get a loan for this. And we can't give it to you because your credit score is not good. You were adding this second layer of scoring for businesses. How soon until that second layer of scoring comes to the individual? Uh, they're already in the process of, of working on this. In fact, there was a bill in Congress introduced uh, just recently uh, where the government would take over your credit score. Right? Uh, the communist Chinese, of course, have pioneered this. And I think really the best way to think of communist China is a, a Petri dish where these technocratic, uh, very wicked elites can try out their crazy ideas. And the social credit system that exists in China, uh, they fully plan to implement that around the world. Uh, this is a system that doesn't just take into account your credit, you know, how likely you are to repay your loan. It takes everything into account. Uh, what are your political views? Do you disagree with the government? Do you jaywalk? Do you charge your phone as often as we think you should charge your phone. Do you have friends who don't like the government? Are you a Christian, right? And um, if your score is very good, if you're a very loyal and obedient slave who does what you're, what you're told without asking too many questions, uh, then you get privileges. You get uh, better education. You get uh, freedom to travel. You get to go overseas. You can get on an airplane. Uh, if you're not, uh, if you disagree with the government, if you speak out publicly, if you have friends who disagree with the government, uh, then you might find yourself uh, low on the score. And then you can't have a good job and you can't uh, get on a plane and travel to another country and you can't uh, get a decent education. So it's very, very 
very dangerous system that we're moving toward. Unfortunately, this is happening in the West as well. And I think it's a critical part of the Great Reset. You know, you, you hear them talking about merging uh, mankind with machines. It's a very, very dangerous prospect that they're talking about here. And they're kind of out in the open now. And then we were talking about the um, moving towards a digital currency. If your ESG score isn't the way it should be and you fall below a certain level, the government would have control to ration your money to you. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we see the technological systems to make this happen being uh, pioneered and implemented right now. Um, you know, they're already pushing this idea that your money should be on your microchip. Uh, they're already pushing the uh, Microsoft actually filed a patent last year with the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO. It's a U.N. agency uh, for a cryptocurrency system that would allocate cryptocurrency to you based on your uh, physical activities and movements, right? So if, if this slave is behaving and doing what we say he's supposed to be doing, then he gets his cryptocurrency. If he doesn't, well, then no cryptocurrency for you, right? And so this is the type of system that they're building now where if you won't take their hypothetical mark, whether that be an experimental injection to supposedly keep you safe from COVID or mm. uh, something else, uh, then they can literally shut you off from the economy and they can prevent you from uh, operating in the marketplace from buying and selling, from earning a living. And uh, once they have that control, um, you either submit or you die. And uh, very few people are going to be willing to face those kinds of consequences when they have you know, children who are hungry, when they have families that depend on them. Uh, we've got to absolutely resist this madness. If anybody listening is into cryptocurrency, this is another really good argument for a cold wallet, by the way. Uh, so that you could you could keep your assets at least somewhat safe from from the prying fingers of government. So how do we push back against ESG? I see that as the as the first line here with with the Great Reset is the establishment of the ESG. How do we push back so that we can combat it? What are the tools that we have? Well, I encourage people to make their investment decisions uh, with this in mind, right? Um, and, and I would make it clear if you're a shareholder in a company, go to the shareholder meeting and speak out. Say, you know, why, why are you uh, frittering away investor money? Why are you giving up and leaving profits on the table to pursue these silly goals? Uh, I will not uh, be, continue to be an investor in this company if you guys are going to ignore uh, shareholders and, and do dumb things like this. Uh, also, in your purchasing decisions, right? Again, you want you want to try to find companies that line up with your values that aren't buying into this crazy global system. And unfortunately, we're now so far into this that a lot of times your only option is going to be uh, somebody local. And sometimes that may be a little bit more expensive than choosing one of the mega corporations. Uh, a lot of these mega corporations are operating with huge government subsidies. They, uh, you know, they're, they're working to bankrupt uh, their smaller competitors. We saw that recently with the COVID lockdowns, right? It was amazing. Mm -hmm. You could go to Walmart, but you couldn't go to a small business. Who, right. who decided that Walmart was essential, but my small business was not, right? Uh, there's a concerted effort to bankrupt and destroy the independent middle class. Uh, and so it's up to all of us as consumers to make our purchasing decisions with that in mind. To circle back to the very beginning here, uh, when we're talking about the ESG scores and how that is directly affecting every single person on, on the planet, but especially here in the capital United States, that part of the ESG score is related directly to CRT. Yes, it is. That's right. Uh, ESG really takes uh, wokeness to a whole new level by uh, basically grading companies on how woke they are. 
And uh, that is very, very troubling. And, you know, the whole environmental agenda, too, is, is such a fraud. I've been going to these crazy U.N. climate summits for over a decade. It really has nothing to do with the environment. These people don't care at all about the environment. They're fanatics when it comes to population control, to, to really micromanaging uh, the individual's life. And they use the environment as an excuse. But I, I, I love uh, the, the term watermelon, and I, I can't claim credit for that. But uh, they really are. They're, they're green on the outside. They, they package all this as concern for the environment. But really, when you get out, get out from the outer layer, what you find is red totalitarianism right there through and through. Absolutely. We're talking with Alex Newman. Uh, he's a CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media, and he's a senior editor over at the New American Magazine. Um, you've got two books out. And I want to make sure that our audience is introduced to both of them adequately and, and, uh, and to the point where they get out there and they buy them. Uh, let's talk first about uh, Deep State, the Invisible Government Behind the Scenes. Well, appreciate that. That's uh, my latest book that came out uh, late last year, and it is about uh, the forces that are behind basically everything that we talked about today. Um, so it's a kind of a deep dive into the forces behind the scenes that are trying to hijack control of our governments, our companies, and um, and really the world. Uh, people can find that at uh, Shop TNA or on my website at libertysentinel.org. Uh, you can buy it at forward slash donate. It's also available on Amazon as an ebook for people who like ebooks. We don't sell it uh, as a print book for a number of reasons there, but hey, Amazon is not your friend, so I would not recommend <laughs> people go to Amazon for uh, for books. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's a, I, I think, a very important book, and it goes right along with a show that I've been doing for, for over a year now called Behind the Deep State, so people can watch those. Those are all available for free on Rumble and other video platforms. So. And let's touch on the, on the second book or one of your more recent books. It's uh, Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. Yeah, thank you. That's a, a book I co-wrote with Dr. Sam Blumenfeld about five years ago. And uh, it is the story of how they turned America from the most literate and well-educated nation on planet Earth into, uh, frankly, a nation of illiterates and um, a nation that is now ripe for communist revolution. Um, it was strategic. It was deliberate. It was well planned. Uh, you know, when, when people tell you that the public education system was is broken, uh, they, they're fundamentally misunderstanding the problem, as we show in the book. Uh, it's not broken. It's working perfectly. It's doing exactly what it was designed to do. And uh, and I don't think you can begin to understand the problems that we're dealing with until you realize that this was orchestrated. This was not an accident. It was not a recent phenomenon. Um, what we're seeing was engineered and the education system was instrumental to all of it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing the repercussions from it uh, coming out of Oregon, where they say that, well, you don't necessarily have to be able to read or do math in order to graduate. That's right. Yep. And um, and the reason why they would do that is obvious, because people can't read or write or do math. Right. So uh, and, and they've been giving millions of people uh, degrees who can't even read their own high school diploma. A high school diploma today is worthless. They just kind of formalized it in Oregon. But uh, if you want the whole story of how that happened, the individuals involved, John Dewey, et cetera, um, you can get that book, uh, Crimes of the Educators. It's been out for a few years now. Uh, I highly recommend it, not because I wrote it or because I make any money off of it, but because it's an important book to understanding how we got where we are and how uh, we're going to turn the tide if that's going to be possible. Yeah, if you can't read the uh, Constitution or the Bill of Rights, they can tell you uh, whatever they want. That's right. And, 
Yeah, it, it goes right back to the very first education law that was ever passed in America, the old Deluder Satan Act. Uh, this was back in the 1640s <laughs> in Massachusetts Bay Colony. They said one of the chief projects of that old Deluder Satan is to keep men from knowledge of the scriptures. And um, that means everybody needs to learn how to read so everybody can read the Bible. Well, who wouldn't want you to be able to read the Bible? Mm, well, it doesn't take a lot of uh, dot connecting to figure that one out. You got it. Alex Newman, uh, the CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media and the senior editor over at the New American Magazine. Thanks for coming on UndergroundUSA.com. I urge everybody to go and, and pick up his books. You got to stay engaged today. There, there's no more sitting on the bench where this is concerned. It's uh, We're actually fighting for the survival of freedom is what we're doing. That's right. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. I'll be right back with closing thoughts after this. Handcrafted exotic blend teas at the lowest shipping cost anywhere. Hi, I'm CJ, owner of the Emerald Coast Tea Company. We ship our premium gourmet blends with Sindel, offering you the lowest shipping prices anywhere, while also being carbon neutral. Excellent tea at the right price. Check us out at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. we honestly look at critical race theory, its genesis, and the goals of the people who are using CRT as a tool of destruction in our society, we need to be very concerned and especially for our children. If you have the wherewithal, or if you live in a state that is pursuing legislation that allows education dollars to follow the student, please think hard about taking your child out of government school. In the end, your children and the country will be better served for the sacrifice you make today. They will be better educated, armed with critical thinking skills, and able to fend off the same nefarious forces that we're fending off today. And the same can be said about pushing back against ESG scoring and the power grab of the global elites through both the IMF and the World Economic Forum. We simply can't allow ESG scoring to become commonplace and one of the most potent ways to push back against the woke culture and their diabolical ESG scoring scheme is to punish with our pocketbooks. Know where you're shopping. Shop your local businesses instead of automatically opting for convenience. If we starve the big corporations and woke companies in deference to independent businesses, local independent businesses, We not only help to hobble the global elites in their pursuit of their goals, but we strengthen our local economies while doing our part to rescue capitalism from the clutches of Marxism. We can no longer sit by and hope someone else makes the sacrifice. We have to fight this battle every single day. If we don't, what are we leaving for our kids? What are we leaving for our children? To me, it looks like the Hunger Games with a lot more hunger than games. You're listening to Underground USA. Be sure to sign up for our mail out over at undergroundusa.com. My name is Frank Salvato. Get in the fight. We'll be right back 
after this. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.